Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark as always, it is episode 119, Friday, January the 24th, 2020. And hopefully this podcast will work back as we're talking off here. It's a little bit stormy here. And um, just as I hit the record button, the lights flashed, Mark. Um, there was a sign from above or from below. Um, so hopefully things will hang in there and the recording, we won't have a take two and a take three with this recording. So Gee, um, and speaking of internets, Mark, it's um, we can't do without it, but um, when we have our clients come in and um, bring a wad of paper and um, talk about how they've searched something up on the internet, um, I immediately go into dazed mode. I don't know what you do. Um, I just nod sagely at the client and um, listen to them as they um, espouse what they've um brought in and, and um, point two and highlighted. But um, it's gone one more step, Mark. And last week, I, I just couldn't believe this. Um, it's not only the clients, it's the animals as well, because I had Mrs. Smith, we'll keep the keep the name um, anonymous, in with her dog Fido last week. And um, at her little introduction about the history of what was happening with Fido, she said, he's been Googling all day. Fido's been Googling all day. And I said, well, you've got a very smart dog there, Mrs. Smith. Um, <laughs> Very smart dog. Um, so what is it being Googling? And um, then she realised that um, he, he came in for um, gastro problems, so he'd been um, gurgling. His stomach had been gurgling all day. But, um, yeah, so I thought he had very one smart dog there, Mark. So um, what have you been up to this week? Oh, we've had of um, interest? We've had, you know, that um, whole thing with cases, you get a series of them all in a, in a row. We've had a series of um, guinea pigs. The only cases I get a series of Mark is is, is wine of course, cases of, of wine, um, and um, when that when that happens, I'm quite happy. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> um, well, these cases have all been they've been uh, rabbits and guinea pigs. We've probably had I think we're up to seven now who've had some sort of facial trauma, um, and so I feel like I've been um, um, getting a bit you know confused about which x-ray belongs to which animal and which one we're going to heal with conservative treatment and which one we're going to muck around with um some form of external fixation so it's been it's been rabbit mouths but not in the usual way for me so what sort of injuries or how did these injuries occur mark so i assume you're talking about bony type injuries um they largely are. They largely are. So we um, the, the variety of um, causes, cages uh, uh, that have fallen with the animal in them, so hutches that might be on a bench, um, some of them have been uh, sort of a bit confusing. They've been in the yard and people have come home and um, and something's happened to their face. Um, and, um, and, of course, whenever we have things like this, we... We, as veterinarians, do worry about the the uh, um, the possibility that there's uh, some form of unreasonable violence perpetrated upon these animals by maybe some peripheral people involved in the family, and um, and of course we do worry about that because there's a strong correlation uh, in in 
between um, the people who have the mental failings that allow them to um, put, you know, perform violence on animals and um, similarly perform those people are commonly the ones who do the same to other people. So, yeah, the, these cases always... There's only one of them that sort of plays on my mind a bit, but um, but it does worry you how people might have been involved. Yes, yes. and um, no doubt they're all doing fantastically well with your fantastic orthopaedic skills, Mark, and I look forward to seeing a case series at our next conference on these facial fractures that you've been have you, seeing. Have you lately. done a, um, uh, an uh, external fixer tour on a rabbit? The, you know, the, those jaw ones, uh, put a couple of, um, uh, we used screws in one. and uh, Okay. Most of the rabbits that have the fractured mandibles, Mark, I, I tend to treat fairly conservatives, conservatively these days unless they're a complete mess and, and often then I end up recommending euthanasia with them and um, I just feel them full of lots of pain relief and I think... Um, with, depending on the fracture, obviously, with, with all that sort of musculature around the fracture site there, it, um, a fair number of them do heal quite well um, with just conservative yeah, treatment. certainly been my experience as well, Brendan. I reckon you can leave most of them as long as you're aggressive with your analgesia and you, you're probably going to be okay. Um, so the answer to your question, because I didn't answer it all, is yes, I have, but not for a very long time, Mark. So I certainly haven't done any recently. Yeah, so I'd love to see some of the pics, some of the radiographs that you've taken of these cases. Of course, send me the successful ones, which will be all yeah, of them. Of course and, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, I, um, I've forgotten, Mark. We haven't mentioned our sponsors um, last couple of um podcasts so we need to mention them and um hello sponsors thank you very much there we go um go to vetgurus.com and you'll see the list of our three main sponsors there specialized animal nutrition microchips australia and chemical essentials and um they've all said they are signing on the dotted line again mark to help us out again with our costs for the podcast this year I heard about those protracted contract negotiations. I heard you drove a very hard bargain, but uh, you well, finally got the, the 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 ink on the line. I'm proud of you. That's right. I sent I, I sent I got the finance department onto it, and um, they um, my people spoke to their people, and it's all sorted. So thank you to those great sponsors and um, some great. Well, they're all great products that they have as well. So we will occasionally mention them as well um, because we. We are, well, we're using a lot of those products every single day. Um, I implanted a few microchips today, for example, from micro, Microchips Australia in, in some of the rabbits that I was desexing for the welfare organisation. So, yes, thank you very much for our sponsors. And don't forget, if you go to vetgurus.com, you'll see also a link to our Patreon site. So for individuals, um, you may want to throw us a bone as we talk about and give us a couple of dollars to help support us as well. And uh, it can be simple, a once-off donation, or it can be a, a regular monthly amount, and it can be as little as $1. So just think, you know, a cup of coffee once a once a month or so. So give us 4 or $5, um, you know, I suppose, unless you're standing up in a Venice market, it's probably the equivalent of $15 Australian up for a coffee, depending on where you are. Um, so, yeah, that would be great if you supported us. Um, so, yes, thank you to our sponsors. Um, I don't think we've got any re- reviews this week, Mark. So um, if you haven't, perhaps you could jump into your news story. Well, the news story 
um, I have for us, Brendan, probably sets a little bit of a tone for our whole, this this podcast. It's a slightly more serious tone, I think. Um, the story I've got uh, is in the National Geographic, um, and uh, it's the story of the Chinese paddlefish, um, one of the world's largest fish, and uh, it's just recently uh, been declared extinct in the wild. Um, it's uh, a native of China's Yangtze River, they, um, they're they're um, massive, massive fish. Twenty three feet in length is uh, um, not, uh, um, you know, the the they quite regularly got to that size. Um, they're they're um, they've been uh, evolutionary evolutionarily stable for quite a long time. They've, there's uh, fossil evidence that takes them back well beyond the end of the dinosaurs and um, and back to uh, 200 million years so they you know their ancestors swam with the uh plesiosaurs and uh and other marine reptiles so they're, they're pretty special animals um but um the problem of course is they now share um a river and a country with um with uh with one of the most populous countries on earth and um and they uh well just didn't work out the relationship didn't work out <laughs> they're dead well the last one they're was gone. seen in 2003 and and there is you know much like um the tasmanian tiger there are still occasional reports of giant fish in the yangtze river um but um but i i would i would um much like the tasmanian tiger i'd be pretty certain um those uh those stories are, are more mythic than real. Um, it's an interesting story how, uh, um, you know, the banality of, of a final end of species, end of a special species, one of the largest freshwater fish in the world. It's amazing how something as simple as um, overfishing over the last century, there's been about um, 25 tonnes, give or take a little bit of the uh, very rare fish harvested per year. Uh, but finally, the scientists concluded the thing that pushed them over the edge um, was a bloody big dam built on the Yangtze. Um, and um, the dam, which was built without any opportunity for the fish to bypass or any form of those fish ladders, those very cool structures, meant that the um, the few surviving paddlefish were... Uh, were cut off from their spawning grounds upstream. And so, um, yeah, dam was built in 1981, effectively um, uh, ending all reproductive activity. Um, and like is often the case, um, it's, it reminds me of um, our black cockatoos. Uh, the black cockatoos live for a very long time, like the fish, and uh, and there is a remarkable loss in the number of breeding sites for black cockatoos, paralleling the the uh, paddlefish, um, but because those adults will live for a long time, the lag phase before the the major disturbance and the impact that it has on the population can be um, can be quite significant. And I think we'll find in um, you know ten, twenty, thirty years that uh, our Various populations of black cockatoos will will have a very similar story in that um, they probably were functionally these fish were probably functionally extinct in 1993, um, and um, and 
the last wild one was seen in 2003. So, yeah, not a very pleasant story and a bit of a sad marker, a bit of an end of an epoch, as it were. Um, so I, I, um, I, I, I don't know what more to say about that, Brendan. Well, all I can do is try and lift the tone a little bit, Mark, with my story. <laughs> and mine's a good news story. As you know, I'm trying to do good news stories and this was – well, it was and is a good news story, Mark. It was about a birth of an endangered or the endangered black rhino baby which was born on Christmas Eve at Michigan Zoo, Mark, in, um, in Michigan, Lansing, Michigan, in at, sorry, at Potter Park Zoo. Gee, Harry Potter gets everywhere, doesn't he? Um, so I get around these... Um, these sponsorship deals um, with some of these organisations, although I'm sure it's to do with somebody, probably the first keeper of the zoo was probably called Potter. You can perhaps look up the origin of the name Potter Park Zoo, Mark, while I ramble on about the story. But the baby boy, who has not yet been named, seems to be very healthy. And the first time mother, who had an interest in name, Mark Dopsy was her name, gave birth at 5.40am on Christmas Eve and the calf's father, Phineas, had been transported to the zoo from Texas in 2017. So it is a good news story, Mark, and mother and son are bonding well off display behind the scenes there and um, hopefully um, they will continue to help the black rhino population because according to IUCN, the numbers were once at 850,000-odd animals um, of the black rhino species in the wild, Mark, and the wild population now has been estimated at around, I think, around 5,000 or so only left with them. And there are fewer than 60 black rhinos currently live at AZA-accredited zoos. That's the American Zoo Association-accredited zoos. So good on them for breeding the new calf and it'll be interesting to see what they what they call the new calf mark maybe that they have named it already but it, it is the offspring offspring team i you think i've been drinking tonight but i'm just a little tad tired tad tired um from the mother dopsy and father phineas so who knows what they will call the little youngster mark what would you call? What would you call it? Oh, I you do. found out. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's Jala. J A A L I. Jala. And what is Jali. the origin of that? Did they talk about what? No, no, no. They don't, they haven't. They have, I'm searching for Potter. The etymology of Potter, um, and I can't find that. And I haven't found how the the um, wonderful Rhino got its name yet. As a researcher, we need to. Um, send it to our um, research department and they might get back to us next week. So um, we have a very good research assistant or a senior research assistant, don't we, Mark, who helps us out with some of our stories. So I'm sure they'll be on to it and you know who you are. Yes. So there you go. It is a good news story. And there's some quite interesting – we'll, we'll link to it on our website, um, vetgurus.com, for this episode. Um, there's a really good video there, Mark, of the, um, the actual um, – calf birth um, or at least the afterbirth so to speak um, and her um, looking after her little newborn there um, so they had little cameras in the den there as she was giving birth so good news Mark so there you go I have a little bit of a good news this week um, 
a birth of a black rhino calf. Um, so it's good to hear. Uh, they'll be extinct fairly soon, probably in the next 50 years or so, but um, it's it's a little bit of good news for the moment. Um, so, yes. Excellent. So I think, yeah, let's jump into our um, main topic. And, yeah, as you sort of hinted, I don't think it is going to be a particularly uplifting story. But as we mentioned last week, we did want to chat about to our listeners about the bushfires here, or they call them wildfires in, in the USA and, and different names in different regions of the world. Um, so the bushfires over the 2019-2020 period here in Australia, Mark. So I think you wanted to kick off a little bit of discussion about it and um yeah we just wanted to fill in our listeners and we know we do have a hell of a lot of listeners who are who are not located in the australasian region and they've certainly almost certainly seen media reports not just on their news um, programs tv etc but on the on the internet about the fires because it certainly made um worldwide coverage and it was. I think you wanted to make a comment about the um, some of the reports on the internet, didn't you? Yes, I was pretty keen to have a, uh, a talk about. Um, I was going to first of all. I was going to start with um, the fact that um, we. I've been a, doing a little bit of driving over the the last little bit and um, headed out uh, somewhat west of where I am, where um, there has been some significant fires, um, and uh, down sort of towards the central coast where there's been some fires but there's still um, lots of uh, native vegetation that's pretty good and I I suppose the thing that struck me is that um, is is how bloody big our country is because these fires are um, you know uh, uh, as the the reports will no doubt say unprecedented they've they're of an intensity um, and um, they've covered an area uh, in a time frame that's just never happened before and um, and there's been immeasurable human cost um, damage to people's homes people have died in these fires um, and the cost to our um well, I don't think there'll ever be a proper measure but it's surprising uh, to me how um, there still is pockets of uh, country and in parts of you know I was uh, reading today about um, some of the uh, tourist destinations in far north Queensland who are seeing bookings drop off um, from overseas because people are worried about the wildfires when um, you know they're they're probably the best part of um, uh, eighteen hundred kilometers from the nearest major blaze so I think um it's important to emphasise that there's still great parts of our country going okay, even though um, there's uh, there's particularly um, significant areas that are devastated. And when you go out to those areas, Brendan, um, it is, I think it's fair to say that each one is a little bit different. So there definitely are some uh, local, there was one fire that was uh, just over Christmas that came within about eight kilometres of the, the, um, the hospital at uh, Sugarloaf and um and that fire was well controlled by our local rural fire service um and they managed to keep it to I, I don't know the exact area maybe something you know it was about 20 kilometers long and maybe about two or three kilometers wide um and and that fire um did not fortunately for its large part rip the canopy of the 
the um, of the forest that it went through. It certainly cleared out the undergrowth, um, but even just as I've gone out there over the last few days, you're starting to see. Uh, green shoots from the most fire resistant plants there's there's a lot of there's a lot of dead animals um uh and and that's just heartbreaking to see but at least going to those places um gives you a sense of um i say not no vague hope that um that those sorts of areas could be re you know returned to their um former state within a number of years, um, but further west, particularly out in the Wollamai National Park, that gigantic area that the Gosper Mountain Fire took out, um, there's um, very, very special habitat, vast areas of special habitat that provides um, um, home and food for large numbers of endangered species that has been like raised that the fire's gone through the canopy that's um destroyed the plants the plants are uh going to have to regenerate from seed they're they're a century away from being what they were and it's it's heartbreaking to see that and some of those places um given climate change will never ever return to the former state there will be a new equilibrium a new homeostasis in that environment um that will not allow them to be the way they once were Yes, well, I've unfortunately seen something similar with the Black Saturday fires, the, the huge fires 10 years or so ago here, where about 180 people died um, in Melbourne region, Mark, and I, um, the, one of the main areas, King Lake, not far from where I live, um, I visited several times um, from shortly after the fires went through until um, well, fairly recently, and, and yeah, the it does recover, but but it's just amaz- amazing how much of the yeah that total undergrowth is just obliterated. I mean, in, in the initial firestorm with the intensity of some of these fires, and yeah, you just you just amazed how anything could survive, let alone um, um, let alone even even the you know burrowing down animals like wombats etc. Um, because it's just completely completely destroyed did you take any photos mark i'm just of interest um, no i haven't i didn't take the cameras with me for these um they were trips with a bit of a different purpose so um i wish i had taken some photos but um we'll see what i can do for the uh you know for our presentation it's been the other thing i was going to talk about and i don't know how you feel about this but um i found the 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 whole i i was very emotional at the time and and I know many people felt the same way a bit of um I know there's a um uh, an ecological anxiety is is a term that some people use and um to see some of the locations and some of the animals that I felt I knew personally um uh, gone or permanently damaged it was um it was really distressing but then the the way that the story flowed and some of the misinformation that was um, spread around on social media, I, I found that a really distressing aspect, um, particularly the juxtaposition, the, can, the contrast between um, the absolute goodwill, like just the outpouring of positivity and everyone trying to help and find a way to help, um, and then the contrast with the, the way that social media um, was actually uh, spreading um, essentially 
misinformation uh, to cloud the picture of what actually was going on. Um, I, it was um, a bit distressing, and I found the the you know there were aspects of it that um, initially, probably foolishly, I engaged with um, maybe uh, distant family members who took a, a particular point of view, and um, and I you know got myself all worked up for a while there until I just decided to disengage from that altogether um so I don't I think there are many aspects to the way that this affects people emotionally did you what did you think of the social media response to the fires Brendan yes well it was pretty intense um but I I basically ignored a lot of it um because as you know I'm not quite as I'm not a bit. I don't tweet as much as you, and I'm not on the on the internet as much as you. I try and I try and keep away from it a little bit because I know that people tend to mouth off about all sorts of things. Um, although there was a, a great deal of well wishes with it, there were certainly some interesting comments about um, what was happening, and um, we were talking off air about um, even some really nasty things like um, some people scamming, um, trying to get um, some of the funding um, that's been donated um, for Care for Wildlife, um, and same story with the with the um, recovery for the humans as well, um, people trying to um, take that money and use it for the wrong purpose there, Mark. So, yes, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit – I'm pretty cynical about all that sort of stuff, so I'm not surprised that that um, it happens, but it's just a bit sad that it does happen. So that's my that's all I'd, that's all I'd sort of like to comment on it, yeah. So I'd, I'd like you, because you're sort of in the – in the know about these things, Mark, as, as most things, um, talk about um, the response to the fires. And I think it's a, a more of the veterinary aspect of it. So it's sort of more and I think directly to, to our podcast. And that's, that's you know, how, how the veterinary industry and um, responds to this and um, the complexities of, of trying to respond to, to such such devastation. So, do you want to chat a little well, bit it was, about that? It was certainly an uh, one of the most uplifting parts of the of the whole process for me to see. Uh, first of all, the way that the profession, um, you know, executed its its uh, you know primary objective, did all the things that um, that it needed to do to um, to immediately care for the animals that they could, um, and. And the way that the other thing I really was uh, pleased with was the way that our profession sort of looked out for each other as well. The, I know that um, all of us who work in in circumstances like this, it's it's dirty, gritty work that's not very pleasant. And while the pictures in social media or on the mainstream media seem to you know be full of fluffy animals who are uh, recovering from superficial burns and likely to be returned to the wild those are the exception and um, the most of the animals that people will veterinarians will come across will unfortunately be um, will need to be euthanized and um, and so that that gets relentless and and um, and actually has an effect on the mental health of the people doing it so I'm so glad that the way that the veterinary professionals pull together to look after each other and uh, and try and and work in an ordered fashion to uh, maximise the outcome of the efforts. And I think 
regarding one of the points you mentioned there, Mark, the cynical view with that is that, and you see it in the news stories here in Australia, and I'm certain the same happens overseas, um, the focus tends to be on the koala with with, with all of the reports there and um, the thought that every single koala that's um, on the vision in these reports will be saved, and I think it's probably more often than not, not that it will be the complete opposite with that and um, that perhaps sometimes um, we're a little bit overzealous with some of the species that are these iconic species that people think are cute and cuddly and um, a lot of time and effort may sometimes be put into trying to save an individual that perhaps should have been euthanized at, at a at an earlier time with them and it tends to tends to happen I think frequently with with cute and cuddly animals with any sort of um, crisis um, in in um, in the wild, Mark, as a, as a zoo vet, I've certainly seen that um, in the past. Um, compared with, say, if it was a not a cute and cuddly, if it was say a, a reptile, for instance, a, a, a snake that was brought into the triage centre, um, the chances are that it will be assessed much more objectively um, and. If it needs euthanasia, euthanasia, it would be done um, at a very early early stage. And for the veterinarians in the field, um, there there'll be pressures, and I'm sure there will be. I haven't been out there during this um, period, but I have been in the past with with um, rescue efforts. Um, there's always pressures pressure from the media, but also um, um, carers and, and members of the public when you do have a species like a koala brought into you um, that you need to do everything to save that cute and cuddly but if it isn't a cute and cuddly then you don't have the same pressures um, and unfortunately that's the way of the world. I think one of the good things to say about that from my more recent experience is that I think um, by and large I, th- I think there's a whole lot of new carers who've come to um, and wildlife rescue and rehabilitation because of the events of the last month. But I think there's a much, my impression is that there's a greater sophistication amongst carers about those practicalities. I think while I know from from personal experience those episodes of um, highly emotional, this animal must make it, uh, type behaviour do still occur. They're not nearly as much as as they uh, as they once did, and I think most long term carers um, they they they've been through it themselves, and and they're prepared for um, those those executive decisions that have to be made. Um, I think the the um, I've been so impressed too with the way the profession has um, through our professional organisation and um, through the emergency response plan, that greater strategic overview, it would be very easy for money to be, and effort to be wasted um, just frantically trying to do everything everywhere. But I know um, that overview has been exercised and, uh, and at least some organisation and some uh, rationing, some triage so that uh, the best um, uh, you know, the best use of the resources goes to where it's most needed. I've re- been really pleased to see that happen. Um, and we've had contact with a couple of our international colleagues who've um, who've come to help as well. Um, and it's uh, and it's just you know it's so um, it makes us feel connected to see uh, people make such an effort for our wildlife, the things that we care 
for so deeply. Um, yeah, it's it's been uplifted. It's been one of those uh, experiences that has, um, uh, you know, like grief, different stages where you feel down, you feel um, uh, 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 despondent, um, and then aspects of it lead you back to uh, be hopeful for the world once again. Yes, and I must admit probably the one word I could say about the response, and I've only had really some input personally with, with sort of on a very small amount strategically with with, um, with our group, Mark, is being proud of everybody. Um, you know, I've been really happy with the response regardless of what my little monologue before about um, the cute cuddly koala um, treatment Um which it's good to hear that you say um, things are much improved from the bad old days, um, and I'm sure they are, um, that the response and the vets that are getting out there in the field and, and the nurses, the technicians are, are very keen and very eager and very very experienced, most of them too, and there's some fantastic resources and it's come together really well with with um, with all the departments and also the Australian Veterinary Association have, have a fantastic little, and I'll put a link to it, Mark. I think it's still on the main um, web, uh, the first page on the website, ava.com.au, Mark, um, the Bushfire um, Recovery Resources, and um, they've provided um, even a, a webinar that was, um, I think, um, just in November or December about um, caring for burnt um, different species and um, resources for vets and other links as well. And um, there's a great little summary there. Um, vets Beyond border, um, Borders, which is a Australian-based um, aid organisation as well, has, has some really good resources as well. So there's, there's lots of good, good links. But, I mean, one of the <laughs> – trying to be positive, but I'm going to be negative here, Mark um, – that um, – there was a fantastic sort of plan developed after those Black Saturday bushfires here um, 10 years ago in Melbourne, Mark, and the um, whole plan was introduced and it was, I think, the whole um, the infrastructure was sort of slowly dismantled after two or three years um, due to lack of funding that the, the government um, and I can't even remember which which side of politics was in at the time, decided they didn't want to keep um, funding it. Um, so, you know, my usual comment is that we're good at coping with disaster when it happens, but we're, we're hopeless at, at preventing it. And, um, you know, they learnt a lot of lessons um, from that Black Saturday, Saturday um, responses and the coordination regarding care for wildlife and, and the veterinary rescue plan. And, um, yeah, they, they decided not to keep, keep it flowing in the background for such eventuality is what we need now. Look, I think that, I, and I, you know, it's a, a natural thing that people don't don't assume emergencies are going to happen. Um, and so those, you know, other things, other priorities take the money away, particularly in this time when, when there are so many demands on the government's resources. But I, I sense, and look, I could be just a silly old man who's, um, who's more hopeful than life uh, gives him reason to be. But I just feel that um, there's an opportunity um, at this time. There is such a well of goodwill. There is such a load of expertise. Um, there, is, there is a trust in, um, in science that, um, that, 
that we may well understand why this is happening the way it is, um, that I sense on multiple levels, whether it's just with the animals, with the uh, habitats, the rehabilitation as much as we can of the spots that we've got, um, the, the recovery of the animals that can get back there and trying to set them up in circumstances where they will be there you know, for a long time, whether it's at a governmental level or possibly even at an international level. I just feel that um, this this has been an event that is um, a game changer, um, that, that, it, that there is a um, constellation of factors that have come together at once and we've got a short window of opportunity to make real change in the world and crockies, I hope, I, it, it happens that way and I hope it doesn't fizz out and we're four or five years down the track, you know, seeing all the the goodwill and, and benefits that, um, that come from people understanding what needs to be done whittled away to no avail. Yes, that's all I can say to that, Mark. Um, for any of our listeners who want to help out or, or donate, whether it's um, financially or in any other ways with their expertise, um, probably the two sites I point them to, or probably the one that, that lists most of them is the Australian Veterinary Association website, which is just ava.com.au, and we will link to that. And um, the AVA will, has, has a list of all the aid, aid organisations and if um, there's actually a little um, click, um, a page you can click on there if you want to help volunteer um, and get involved um, on the ground as well there. So, yeah, that would be the best place to go, I think. Um, yeah, so and for, the, for those listeners overseas, I, I, um, perhaps some of them don't realise, Mark, that these fires are still ongoing and we expect we're, we're probably, what, halfway through our, our fire season here, Mark? Would be would that be true or not quite that? that? That'd be a pretty reasonable estimate, about halfway. We've got a day tomorrow here that's um, been forecast for 43 degrees and um, and reasonable winds, so we're, we're bought, there's yeah, we've got our fingers crossed that um, we don't have anything flare up. Um, so, so yeah, it's not it's not over yet, not over at all. Yes, so hopefully um, we won't have such a devastating fire. And that fire is still it's contained, is it, Mark? The main one that formed into two, um, or maybe it's not quite contained yet. The one on the on the border there of New South the Wales border. of Victoria. No. Um, yeah, I think it's it's contained, but certainly it's still not. burning, and what they expect yeah. it to still be burning for for many weeks. weeks. I think yes, yeah. um, yes. So, well, it hasn't been a particularly uplifting podcast this week, Mark. But I think we thought it was important to at least chat a little bit about what was happening with the bushfires here in Australia, um, and. Um, Next week we may get back to normal programming and have some silly jokes and maybe um, it's time for a product review or two, um, which reminds me we, we haven't had a, a product review or suggestion for a product review from our listeners for a while, Mark. So um, our email is vetgurus at gmail.com. So if you want to review something for us, send us a, drop us a line there and um, do a little review and we will read out your review on the podcast most likely. Um, or we could ignore it, but um, we'll see. Um, it couldn't get much worse than some of my reviews, so I'm sure we'll end up um, reading them out on, on air, Mark. So do you have anything else to say before we close for this week? I just wanted to, um, you know, a big shout out to all the people who've um, who've uh, helped in one way or another. I know that um, 
uh, you know, there's been a huge positive sense of positivity coming to Australia from all around the world and, um, and across Australia as well. So thanks to everyone. Yes, well said. We'll talk to you all next week. Listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes, and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Hold up. 